Amen. And please remain standing and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 11, where we will read all of chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the covenant, or renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal. And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. The Israelite-Palestini conflict has come back into the spotlight in recent months. This is nothing new, although the name Palestine and the name given to a people as Palestinian is fairly new in history. A much older dispute is the dispute we see here, actually, in 1 Samuel 11. Israel had a centuries-long dispute with the nations which descended from the daughters of Lot and their sons Ammon and Moab. Ammon, the father of the nation of, of Ammon, uh, was a son of Lot, Abraham's nephew. Ammon's birth was like his cousin Moab, or like his brother Moab, the result of incest. And for one reason or another, Moab and Ammon became nations which opposed Israel, and Israel opposed themselves. 
As we see in Ruth, who was a Moabitess, this incestuous origin of these two nations of Moab and Ammon, along with their subsequent idolatry and great wickedness, drove the sons of Abraham and the sons of Lot very far apart indeed. Earlier in Israelite history, in Judges 11, we see that the Israelite Ammonite hatred for one another has good reason, in fact. Jephthah was the judge of Israel appointed at this time specifically to rout the Ammonite military's oppression as they oppressed them, which was persecuting the whole land of Israel. This historic battle of Judges 11 was quite close, actually, in time to our episode with Saul here in our text in 1 Samuel 11. The Ammonites were an enemy, had been an enemy, and continued still. They had returned for Israel's head, in fact, at this time through their leader, Nahash. We see that this threat of Ammonite invasion actually was the greater part of Israel's decision to demand a king be set over them, as we saw in 1 Samuel 8. But we see this especially in 1 Samuel 12, 12. Israel panicked at Nahash as he got his invasion force together at the border. So says 1 Samuel 12, 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. So now that they had gotten their king in Saul, which they had hoped would be more powerful than God in the defense of Israel, somehow, against Nahash, this king was to be put to the test now through the very same Nahash that they feared. This is the test that Israel will use to see if Saul is truly a king. Let us meet the first character of our text, in fact, Nahash, a satanic enemy of God's people. This is where we go first, the pride of God's enemies in Nahash, verses 1 through 4. We see Nahash's pride and tyranny in these verses. This man was so completely wrapped up in victory when he besieges Jabesh-Gilead and the men of Jabesh finally wave the white flag of defeat that Nahash does not even accept their unconditional surrender. Instead, Nahash answers with cruelty that he might break the Israelite spirit and make an example of them. He says, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and bring shame upon all Israel. Nahash has set his eyes far higher than Jabesh Gilead in Israel. His sights are on all Israel, as he says. He wants to bring shame upon all Israel. And so he wants to make an example of Jabesh Gilead in his conquest as the first of many. The peace talks continue with Israel's reply. They say, give us time that someone might save us from this fate. And if no one comes, then we will be your slaves and you may pop out our right eyes. But once the news of this spreads abroad, Israel wept for Jabesh Gilead. So great was their fear for Nahash. But there was one man who, when he heard, did not weep, but took it upon himself to act and raged by the work of the Holy Spirit within him. That is our second figure, the hero, Saul, who is to save Israel from the enemy of God, Nahash. As we go into verses 5 through 11, the spiritual rage of God's king against God's enemies. Saul, again, the anointed and publicly presented king of Israel at this point, has double reason to defend Jabesh Gilead. He was the king of all Israel, yes, anointed and publicly presented, And he was the son of Benjamin and Jabesh-Gilead. 
as Judges 21 shows that, over half of Benjamin's ancestors had come from Jabesh Gilead through the work they had done there. Go read it. It is a, quite a strange story. But that was indeed probably where his grandmother was from. So that when he hears these tidings in verse 5, he is thrown into a rage while the Spirit of God was with him and cut up a yoke of oxen and sent the bloody pieces with a threatening message to all Israel in verse 7. Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. This is a method to call Israel to war that was used even in Judges 19. And it's obvious in the wording of this threatening this threatening called the arms, that Saul recognizes he is not completely accepted as king yet by all of Israel. Do you see in verse 7 in the, me- in the message, he mentions not only himself, but Samuel, who some in Israel no doubt still consider the true ruler. But far more important than Israel's assumptions, Saul displays kingly qualities in his reaction to the oppression of Israel. It's very important to note Saul's reaction to the wickedness of Nahash, the enemy of God, what it's like. His reaction to this sin was spiritual rage. That is, Saul's passionate hatred is not at all condemned by this text or by the Spirit. In fact, is the product of the Spirit's work within him. His rage was the result of the Spirit's work. Passion and zeal are the things of the Spirit and our kingly qualities. Saul's wrath is spiritual and good, in fact. We are not Stoics, brothers and sisters, as if we should always press down our passions. Our passions and our emotions are good if they lead us to good things. They are often the result of the Spirit. Let us not be Stoics. Let us be passionate, Spirit-led humans instead. Let us hate the evil we see in culture. Let us hate even our own evil with a passion. Let our rage carry us to great works of God as Saul was carried by the Spirit to a great work of salvation by this Spirit-wrought rage. We see an immediate response to Israel, in Israel to Saul's rage. It's a different response than we might expect of Israel up to this point as well. Israel responds, verse 7, in fear. In dread, but not fear of Saul or of punishment. No, not even fear of Nahash or Jabesh Gilead's destruction. Israel's response to the message was, quote, in verse 7, the fear of the Lord. What a hopeful response that we find in Israel at this time, at the first call to arms. This fear of the Lord causes Israel to act. 330,000 come at the summons, in fact. Even Judah, who had the promise, the throne promised to them in Genesis 49, as we've said before, came in submission to the king. The support is unexpectedly universal and obviously from the Lord. And the enraged Saul does not squander this opportunity given to him. In so little time, he musters all of Israel, and then after all is in order, as verse 10 tells us, the very next day, he comes to rescue Jabesh Gilead. He prophetically tells Jabesh Gilead in verse 9, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. High noon, you'll have salvation. And it's to the credit of Jabesh Gilead that they completely entrust themselves to Saul, the anointed of God. 
and say to Nahash the Ammonite, verse 10, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. Of course, this is no lie. They would have given themselves up to him had not Saul come in salvation. But it is a marvelously set trap. For Saul's trap resulted in the destruction of the Ammonite foe, so that, verse 11, no two of them were left together. Prophecy of Saul is fulfilled and salvation was accomplished before high noon. This shows the quality, I might add, of true kingly scriptural salvation. It cannot be a mere victory. It must be an utter rout of God's enemies. If God is with his king as he is here, the defeat is a rout. We ought not to to be afraid of our enemies. We ought to be afraid of God, brothers and sisters. Fear the Lord. Do not be afraid of the atheist or of Satan. Do not be afraid of the one who has seeming wrath or passion. Let our fear of God control us and show us that we will be victorious in Christ and that victory is sure for those who trust in him. We see that God is with his righteous king for victory in all of 1st and 2nd Samuel with his righteous king for victory. But beware if you are not righteous. Unfortunately, this will be the case with Saul as we continue on. But this, this is the best of Saul. This victory brings all of Israel behind Saul, that they trust him wholeheartedly. So much so that they draw their swords and ask Samuel in verse 12, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Their support is now near fanatical, but Saul restrains them and says, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. No greater words by Saul are said than these. This is the high point of Saul's kingship right here in the beginning. It is all downhill from here. These are the words of a merciful and powerful king who trusts in the Lord. This great salvation ought to be the cause of great joy in Israel, not of judgment in Israel, as Saul says. And Samuel agrees and calls Israel to a celebration and a covenant renewal ceremony in verses 12 through 15. As we go to the last section, the result, or rather the last section of Saul's great victory, the result of the king's spiritual wrath against God's enemies, the people's joy and gratitude. That is the result of victory, joy and gratitude with their king. As a great number of the people of Israel had grumbled against Saul, as we had seen, it was as if the covenant had been denied by some in Israel, or by half, perhaps, of Israel, so that a covenant renewal ceremony was called for. We see the heart of the covenant renewal ceremony and what it was about, part of it, at least, in words, the words of verse 15. There they made Saul king before the Lord. Israel made Saul king, which is to say they recognized and consented to his kingship. He was not now merely the king published in the newspapers, but the king published in their own hearts. They are renewing their allegiance, in fact, here to Yahweh. This is done before the Lord. They made Saul king before the Lord, so that they recognized this was the king selected by God, and they trusted God's selection. Israel repented of their rebellion to God's king and rejoiced in the king before God. They are renewing their allegiance not to Saul specifically, but to Saul's God. 
God's kingship. We see that not just the subjects of the king, but the king himself rejoiced among his people at Gilgal. We were told that Israel and Saul partied together as they renewed their allegiance to God in verse 15. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Saul and all the men of Israel together rejoiced greatly. It was a joyous feast where they recognized salvation came from the Lord and enjoyed what the Lord had given them as king, peace and a secure kingdom from evil. And see how salvation has caused them to joyfully obey their king. They obey now not out of some servile fear, as when they were mustered with the carcasses of an ox, but with eager joy, even hoping to judge those who doubt him. Our cause of obedience to God, our cause to obey God our king, is that this true king has purchased our salvation. We obey the king not for the chance of salvation, perhaps by our own works, through our obedience. We respond with obedience because we are already saved, just as Israel shows us here. Salvation, then grateful obedience, is the order. God would only have his people obey with their whole hearts. God wants our whole hearts, which is why we give grateful service to him through Christ Jesus. Has your allegiance been split, brothers and sisters? Now is the time to follow Christ, the king, to renew the covenant and follow him with your whole heart, which brings us into the last section, 1 Samuel 11, which is a window into Christ's covenant kingdom victory. This whole episode shows the Christian's relationship with the true king. 1 Samuel 11 is a type of Christ's work up until the end of time, this whole thing, this whole story. As we will continue to say through Saul's story, Saul is not a type of Christ. However, Saul's office of kingship is a type pointing forward to Christ and his true kingship. So that when the king does something correct in his office, it points to Christ who fulfilled the office and its requirements. The king in this chapter does nearly everything right. This is the height, again, of Saul's kingship. So that we ought to look at this episode as a type of what Christ the king will do with his kingdom and has done in his office. Nahash, indeed, as well, is the enemy of God, whose name is even derived from snake and is a type of Satan. Saul, although not a type of Christ, again, is a representative in this episode of what a king is to do in such situations and be a heroic savior king. Salvation works are essential to what it means to be an Israelite king. Saul is to be commended in this whole episode. This is a hopeful beginning. This king accomplishes salvation for his people, Israel, and he calls all of Israel to be a part of this military conquest of evil. We have things to do, church militant. We are indeed, like Israel, following the king. We are on a mission in this world to which we have been mustered and brought together. Let us not be slack in our mission, whether it be evangelism, apologetics, or whatever it might be that is before us with our hands. As we are spirit-led, let us do it for the Lord 
We are in the midst of enemies, but we will always be victorious because of Christ. Christ calls us to be part of his kingdom and part of his army and part of his conquest. We have a duty that we have. A king means that we must respond to his summons as a duty and participate in the defeat of sin and Satan, Nahash's king. Do not miss this. If you miss anything else, do not miss this. You are called to fight, brothers and sisters. As Israel was called to fight, you are called to fight. All of us are to be the church militant with Christ. We fight against sin, Satan, and the world. Do not be cowards, but answer the call when he tells you to defend him with friends, strangers, anyone. Sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord and realize we are at all times in spiritual war. Not only this, but we, we are called to righteous spiritual wrath. Friends, you are called to be passionate in your hatred of sin and Satan. It is to be from the very bottom of your hearts. There is not a milk-toast, spineless, and limp-wristed people and army. You are called to be a wrathful king, or by, rather, a wrathful king. To be warriors, not intimidated by sin and Satan, but passionately fighting with him, for him. This is, there is no room for indecision and intimidation in God's army. And when you fight against sin, you must remember that the salvation was brought about. It was not our working, but a salvation from God. As Saul rightly says, it is from God. We participate in the fighting. We rejoice in our victory. And we always give the glory of victory to God. In Christ, we fight. We are part of the army. But we cannot add anything to the finished work of Christ. But we do haste the day. We cannot add anything to the work of Christ, but mysteriously, we do haste the day of his coming. So that our actions in this military matter. It is because of his salvation as king of Israel that we rejoice and give our lives as a sacrifice of praise with all our heart, just as Israel sacrificed, partied, rejoiced, even from their own flocks to the Lord, and gave the meat to their brothers in arms. So we gratefully follow God and sacrifice for him with our fellow workers, the members of the body of Christ. Each Sunday, in fact, we ought to rejoice and renew the covenant. We renew our allegiance to Christ, our King. Do we rejoice in the King of God's selection and the salvation of Jesus? Do we rejoice at the salvation of Christ? Do we consent to his kingship with our whole heart, or do we grumble against him? Do we recognize that we are worthy of death if we grumble, that only the king himself can pardon us in this? Renew your allegiance to God, your king, in repentance. Renew your wrath against sin, soldier of God. Be enraged at those who offend his glory and be wrathful at sin and Satan. Do we realize that God's wrath is still upon us, were it not for Christ? Do we live as if our grumbling and our sin does not deserve punishment, as Saul's grumbling subjects deserve death? Now is the time for repentance, for God's King Jesus is merciful and gracious. Even still, he is merciful and gracious only for a short time. At the end of time, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, which this 
covenant renewal ceremony points forward to when they will truly be new in the new heavens and the new earth. The end of time, when God calls everyone together to rejoice in the salvation that he has worked through Christ, as Saul's army does here, Christ will speak peace and mercy only to those who trust in him. Those who are truly in Christ's army hate sin and so repent of it and yearn to rejoice with Christ, not only every day, but especially on this, his Lord's Day, and especially, ultimately, that we may participate in the cleansing of the earth by judgment, judgment, the defeat of the wicked, even the defeat of the wicked angels. Nahash was defeated at the height of his arrogance. Do we look and ask for victory in the desperate times, the desperate hours, that Christ may be victorious? If you are still in your sins, do so and look to him. And he will rescue you as Saul rescued Jabesh Gilead. Or, for those in the covenant, are we milquetoast Christians? Because we do not understand our Christ is a wrathful king of vengeance who will destroy sin and has saved us even from our own sins. You are called to fight against sin and to rejoice and be wrathful and fear the Lord in this wrath against sin. Christ has passed the test. He has proven himself king by not defeating a small Nahash or defending a nation, one mere nation from death for a small time, Christ has proven himself as king by destroying death, by defeating Satan and chaining him and extending that kingly grace and mercy to everyone who comes to him until the doors of mercy are shut on that last day. Now is the time to trust in his king for salvation. Now is the now is the king fighting against sin. And let us fight with him and hate with that burning hatred. Without faith in Christ, there is no hope. You will perish like Nahash, even at the height of your arrogance. But with Christ, we shall do valiantly. And with Christ, we will rejoice at the renewal of the kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth for all time. Now is the time for a renewed allegiance to Yahweh. Now is the time to give our whole hearts to Christ, for one day we will see him as he is. We will be with him and rejoice with him as Israel rejoiced with Saul. One day we will see him at the entrance of the full kingdom, like 1 Samuel 11, and we will either rejoice with him for all eternity in his presence with joy, or we will be left upon the field of Christ's conquest. Let us go to this great king in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you that you are indeed our master. Lord, and you are so merciful and gracious with us. You are our great God, and you are also our merciful God. Lord, you extend to us mercy, kingly mercy, as we have seen even in Saul. But Lord, we thank you that you are not Saul. And as you are in heaven, as you have finished your work, you could never sin. You will never lead us astray. You will bring us to that great day of redemption and lead us to victory, O Lord. Lord, we ask that as we are working, as we are fighting as the church militant on earth, we ask, Lord, for passion, for rage, for zeal, for hatred of sin, and love for you, Lord. And such a love that we would seek to, to judge ourselves in these things. 
Lord, that we would long as the Corinthians longed to be rid of these sins. We ask, Lord, that you would bring us to greater repentance and faith. And Lord, at all times, we would seek to renew the covenant with you. For Lord, you have done valiantly. May we be valiant for you. We ask all these things, O Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.